Welcome to PMA Takes on Tech, the podcast that explores the problems, solutions, people, and ideas that are shaping the future of the produce industry. I'm your host, Bonnie Estes, Vice President of Technology for the Produce Marketing Association, and I've spent years in the ag tech sector. So I can attest, it's hard to navigate this ever-changing world in developing and adopting new solutions to industry problems. Thanks for joining us and for allowing us to serve as your guide to the new world of produce and technology. My goal of the podcast is to outline a problem in the produce industry and then discuss several possible solutions that can be deployed today. Stout Industrial Technology collaborates with customers to build and launch industrial technology solutions that are designed to last. The Smart Cultivator combines a proprietary, agriculturally proven mechanical platform with Stout True Vision technology to eliminate weeds and cultivate ground in a single pass. Visit stoutagtech.com. That's S-T-O-U-T-A-G-T-E-C-H.com to learn more. Welcome to part two of the Focus on Israel. If you missed episode 22, I recommend you listen to it as well, where we featured Fruit Spec, Clara Fruit, Copia Agro and Food Technologies Fund, and Talia Agriculture Solutions. It was a very full and long episode. This week, we returned to Israel as I really couldn't pack any more into episode 22. In today's episode, we continue to look at innovation coming out of Israel and why. We talk to two companies, Energene and CropEx, and then finish up with hearing about the Israel Innovation Institute. These three speakers, along with the four from the previous episode, demonstrate the entrepreneurship and innovation coming out of Israel to help feed the world. Let's start with Energene. We speak to Gil Ronan, founder and CEO of Energene. Gil has been working with plant genetics for over 25 years. I've been aware of his work in this company and his previous company. What I find amazing is how his company was very cutting edge 11 years ago when they started, and with all the big technical advances, they still are. Let's drop into the conversation. I'm Gil. I did a, a PhD in plant genomics, and ever since all my uh, professional career, I was in in the genomic companies developing high-end AI tools and make them available to make better, better seeds, better animal breeds, etc. So this is this is uh, for myself. So if if we count the PhD as well, it's uh, now 25 years. Uh, with Energin, we started Energin uh, 11 years ago uh, with the very uh, simple but, but uh, 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 straightforward idea to say that there's so much data that we can help in choosing the best seed for every farmer. So why not, why not develop the tool that can, can analyze this data and enable on the computer to find you know, the best genetic combination for, for every crop, for every geography. And uh, this is exactly what we do. From the day of, uh, we start, then the day this we start until today. And that was, you know, there's a number of people thinking like that now, but 11 years ago, 
you know, breeders weren't thinking like that. That was, uh, that was pretty revolutionary thinking. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, there were a few things that were very different 11 years ago. First, there was in, in every significant breeding entity, there is the, the actual breeding, the classical, the, 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 the natural breeding which is done routinely every year, every season. And there was the biotech part. The biotech part, part was where all the new innovation tools that are non, non-natural, like GMO and gene editing, etc. This is where those parts were tested, uh, the different technologies, and very rarely they were merged into a product. Uh, so most, uh, in most cases, uh, even today, most crops and animals all naturally bred. So the technology, the high tech, was not uh, involved uh, to, to, that, um, to that level in the natural breeding, which again, in, in our understanding, this, is, this is, was a waste of a resource, and this is what we tried to change. Uh, this was one thing that it was really thinking differently, but then when we tried to realize how much data we need to analyze, and and uh, and uh, what are the tools that are necessary? So uh, if you do breeding of tomatoes, for example, so you have thousands of different plants, each of them with different genetic combination, and each of them has about one billion letters in the DNA. Uh, so so you have a really a huge amount of information you need to accumulate, you need to storage, and you need to, to analyze in order to find the very basic differences in the DNA that make one tomato taste better than uh, taste better than other. Uh, so, so this is this is this was something that people didn't believe. You know, any computer can handle, and even the cloud, when it was at the very beginning, they didn't believe it's possible. They say, you know. Amazon doesn't have enough cloud power to do this level of analysis. And so what we did, we actually, you know, we, we try uh, to shrink the, the, the data to, con- to condense it to a way that a, a, a machine, a computer can handle. And then we can analyze all the data and find those, those genes, those beneficial genes. So this is something even... Even like a very, very sophisticated cloud computing companies didn't believe this is possible to do, and this was our challenge, and I'm very happy to say that now we are successful, and now many others do similar things. So who are your customers now? What, what types of companies do you work with, and, and what, what's an end product for them that you develop? Yeah, so, so within the value chain, uh, there are companies that develop new seeds or new animal breeds for farmers and sell them to farmers. Okay, so farmers that grow wheat, for example, so every year they buy new bags of seeds of wheat and they sow them and they grow them and they put fertilizing and wait for the rain, etc., or, or irrigate them and eventually get the, the, the yield. But not, but uh, every year they could get uh, different varieties of seeds. And this new variety is supposed to be more productive, more efficient, resilient, better uh, drought or other stresses or different pathogens. So we work with the companies that are uh, constantly developing new seeds for the farmers. 
and and new animal breeds for the farmers to to make you know the farming more productive. So those are the companies. So there are two types of companies. The, the companies that this is actually their business. They are called seed companies or breeding companies. So they are you know giant companies in this space like Bayer and Syngenta and Cotiva and BASF and Limagrain and KWS. They're all working with energy today. And this is one type. And another type is companies that say, okay, I'm I produce food, or I produce a beverage, or I produce rubber, or I produce a, a, a pulp or paper. And I need to make sure that farmers grow the best raw material for me. So if, I, 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 if I'm a chocolate company, I need to make sure that farmers grow the highest quality cocoa. And if, I, if I'm not uh, able to do that, uh, then I'm losing my business. So they, some of those companies, and now more and more, take the responsibility on developing new uh, varieties of coffee or cocoa or uh, rubber trees or any or a eucalyptus for, for paper. And, and they, this way they make sure the raw material they need will be produced to the highest quality. And this is the, the other type. This is the industrial companies like food and beverage companies, etc., that uh, are involved in breeding because they cannot afford having not the highest quality of the raw material for their uh, end product. So do they have, companies like that, do they have the germplasm or do you work in public germplasm? Where does the germplasm come from? So, so this is this is very good question. So seed companies that sell seed to farmers, usually they own their own germplasm. It's very broad, it's very diverse. So we have the whole playing ground to to sexually cross between different varieties and choose the best uh, uh, progenies, the best uh, seeds for the next generation. In, in the food and beverage and other uh, industrial uh, companies, sometimes they have their own genetic material, and sometimes they rely on, a, on other resources. It could be public resources, it could be some academia uh, that, that work, uh, uh, for example, do breeding of cocoa in, in Africa uh, or something like that. And, and, and uh, this way, we, we now we need a, like a three-way uh, collaboration between the end producer, like you know, the chocolate maker, the breeder, which is academia that do many years breeding of cocoa, and ourselves. And this, this is, this is in many cases, this is uh, the, the, the current situation, and we we can handle with that. I, uh, we we know how to work with with all breeders of all crops and bring the value. So if you were working with, um, say, a chocolate company or a food company like that, how if they came to you and they said, OK, we want a certain trait, um, how long would it normally take before they'd actually have that trait? I know it depends, of course, but is it 10 yeah. years? You know, is it five years? What's kind of the range? So so it depends on the life cycle of the the, the, the organism. And the crop we work with because uh, we are advanced from one generation to another generation. So if we work in cannabis that you have a single generation in 10 weeks, so it's moved very fast. If you work with cocoa that a single generation could be six or seven years, it moves pretty slow. But the sl in, in those cases, the companies actually need our technology more because what we do, we predict 
how the plant will, uh, for a given genetic combination, how the plant will perform in the field. So if our predictions are accurate, they, they, they can, they can select the best uh, individuals before they can realize the full potential of these specific plants that can take, you know, five or six years. So the longer the, the life cycle, the more they need us. So if we take a, a chocolate company, okay, so they, of course they want the highest quality cocoa, yes, but they, they, are, they, need, they need the farmer to grow uh, the plants and in some regions there is, because of climate change, there are more seasons of drought or heat or there's a, a, a new fungal disease that spread and they need a, 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 to, to be able to, to, to cope with it, etc. They don't want to spray chemicals because they don't want to chocolate to have a chocolate with chemicals. No one wants that. Yeah, we all want it a, to be a, as clean as as natural as possible. So they came. They are coming to us, and we talk to the breeders, and they say, you know, we have a very good cocoa trees that re resist drought, and very good cocoa trees that resist this fungi. And we have very good quality cocoa trees, but this is different trees. It's not, it's not, you know, everything in one. So they ask us to make everything in a single tree. Okay. So what we do, we we do we do two things. First, we do sexual crosses between those uh, uh, trees that contribute different uh, genes or different traits of interest. And we analyze the full genomic makeup and we actually identify on the computer what are the genes that increase the quality, what are the genes that uh, give the resistance to the fungal disease, and what are the genes that uh, help the plant tolerate drought. And now we, we can do on the computer and we can, we can predict which of the next progenies will have the genetic combination that will bring all the traits together, okay? And then they can take them, like, you know, after the crosses, few, like two months after the crosses, they can select the, the, the most uh, uh, successful plants uh, according to our prediction. And now they can grow and focus only on them. So it will probably take years before they realize that, all our predictions are true, but, but at least they don't need to grow hundreds of thousands of, of trees and wait for, for so long. They can focus on those. And, you know, because we, we completed close to 300 projects and our prediction rates are so high, uh, relying on our technology is the best bet they have. Okay, and this way, instead of getting the same trees in 20 years from now because they need full three full generations, they, they can they can they can get it in in a single uh, in a single life cycle or or two. So we cut significantly the time uh, from the 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 moment they they realize this is what the new variety they need until it's it's ready to 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 use. Mm -hmm. So you recently went public and hired some new senior staff. Congratulations on that. Um, what, where do you see uh, energy going? What are you planning on going forward with the money you've raised and, and the staff? And, and are you going in different directions? Yeah. So, so you know, in the, in the, in the first years, we built the, the, the best technical staff 
Uh, we are located in Israel. We have 40 technical staff, many data scientists and DevOps and software engineers and mathematicians and others, uh, and geneticists, of course, and they are all working together. And this is, this is like the brain, okay? This is the brain of the company, and this is the people that make those tools that can resolve very, very tough genetic uh, challenges. And now, we, of course, we are in Israel, and you know we are very good in Arctic, but but Israel is very very small in Arctic. We have very little land. We have very expensive uh, water, so so we are not that big in Arctic. So so actually, the, our technology is required in the U.S., in Canada, in Brazil, in China, in India, etc. So this is the place where where our, uh, our te the technology is required, and in order to work closely with with the companies that produce the seeds for farmers. So we need to be also close for the farmers and the grain producers and all, all the value chain. The, the way we, we expect to grow is that, to put uh, local entities that do the actual project hand in hand with uh, the customers or that now become more collaborators than customers. And, and this way we better realize the needs, we have immediate use of uh, the technology, etc. However, the same brain, the same AI software and the people that run it, we, we can have one in Israel. So we can have 10 different uh, locations around the globe where we work closely with, with our customers uh, or collaborators and do the all analysis on the cloud uh, uh, with a, a single uh, tech team that is very special, and very unique globally. Uh, with very unique capabilities, uh, but they can serve all those projects. So this is the idea. And by doing that, not only we come closer to the customers and we, we work more efficiently, we are also entitled uh, to, to uh, co-own the new IP, the new seeds that we, we produce together, and uh -huh. get royalties from the sale of the seeds for the farmers. So, in in terms, so so we are commercial companies. So revenues is it's also important. We we try to feed the world, and we hope we do something to 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 improve uh, food availability. Uh, but still, you know, we 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 try also to generate uh, more revenues. But but on the by by the way of getting the revenue uh, model of uh, royalty or revenue share, over there, of course, the market uh, uh, is way bigger and, you know, that the opportunity for the company uh, is greater. And uh, this is on one end. On the other end, uh, our customers, we work together with them. So if there's no product in the end, we don't get any revenue. So we take a risk on the short term with a big opportunity on the long term. Because if you develop a new tomato seed variety or a, or a cannabis strain or bananas, Usually, it's it's the same variety uh, have a significant market share for years. It's not a single year, so so it could be anyway from from three four years to twenty years. So so the fact that we do one effort and then get revenues annual revenues uh, for 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 many years, of course, increase the potential of this project in terms of uh, revenues for the company. So this is, this is the way we believe we need to move uh, forward. And actually, we, it, we, it was announced, but it was in Hebrew. So maybe some of the audience uh, missed that, uh, that uh, we opened a lab in, uh, in Saskatchewan, Canada, 
to serve the, the, the collaborators we work with, yes, uh, in many, many of the key Canadian crops, like wheat, like uh, canola, of course, some of the legumes. Uh, we have some projects for alternative protein from legumes, uh, uh, cannabis and hemp, and other, other stuff that is very common, uh, commonly produced uh, in, in Canada. So it makes a lot of sense to be there. So we actually now have five people on the ground in, in Saskatchewan, uh, and this is growing uh, and uh, probably will be doubled by the end of the year. And we hope this, this lab will start to operate and do already projects very soon. Great. So I have one last question for you. Um, so this episode is focused on Israel and I've talked to a bunch of amazing companies. Um, what has been the advantage of starting your company there? Besides the fact you live there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a big advantage, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, th I think Israel is, is one of the best place uh, for, for innovation for several reasons. First, uh, and the most important, you have a lot of relevant excellent people, okay? So if you think of it, if you are a software engineer, I'm not sure uh, working in a startup, working in ag tech is, is something that is on your radar, but in Israel it is. In Israel, because there are many ag tech and biotech companies, and because someone is a software engineer is used to work three years here, two years there, and sometimes it's in a very, very different companies. And because we are the high-tech hub, we have lots of those excellent people, okay? And this is the most, actually, if I think what is, you know, what is the, the, the one thing that makes us special is, is the people. And, and actually, because they are moving from different companies and, to, and different industries, they are very open-minded. So it's not like one software engineer work in, in, in some kind of a, a single company for, for, for 20 years. So they are very open-minded. They, 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 they attend and they are practice to, to solve a, you know, challenges they, they didn't even think of before, etc. And, and this, is, this, is, this is the treasure. This is the treasure. And I think to find, you know, now we have 40 uh, people that come from so different, uh, you know, backgrounds that can work together, speak together, and, and be able to develop a product uh, together. This is something that is, uh, is very unique. And, and, uh, and uh, again, I, I was uh, fortunate to, 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 to hire the right people. I, I, I said, this, is, this, is the, this is the key to, to energy success, no, no question about it. So this is one thing. The other thing is, again, uh, um, although we are Israelis, the, the global companies are tend to work with Israeli companies because they have a, a, a good experience. So, so they know they are not, we are not working by the book and, you know, we, it's not the most organized organization. However, we are very innovative and we are very flexible. So they, 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 if they are not surprised if a, a new innovation is coming from, from Israeli a, a tech company. And this is, this is actually open doors for us. Okay. So, so if you say you are from Israel and you approach a company like Bayer or Syngenta, they say, oh, this is, this is they come again, they, let's hear what, where, where their new ideas are now. And, and so this is, this is, uh, this is, you know, we, I was part of the fact that we build this, you know, the, this brand uh, of uh, Israeli architect, uh, but it started way before uh, I was there. Uh, and this, 
many like uh, four or five uh, uh, decades of of uh, uh, this uh, this level of uh, uh, experience etc uh, it pays itself so so this is this is uh, this is uh, i believe the second thing the third is that you get you know it's it's relatively easy in Israel to get what we call seed money, seed money, so the, the money to start a company, not not the seed business, but the seed money. So it's relatively easy because there are many early stage uh, investors, uh, and some of them are private investors, what we call angels, some of them are venture capital uh, uh, entities, and there is matchup fund from the government, uh, usually. So if you are a young company and doing pure R&D, you get some uh, matchup fund from, from, from uh, the Israeli Innovation Authority. Uh, and, and this is, of course, uh, helps you uh, move uh, faster. Uh, so, so I think this is the three main elements that, uh, you know, on the, uh, make, make uh, Israel the best place to, to start an Arctic company. The next conversation is with Ratan Rahab of CropX. CropX is as high-tech to sensors as Energene is to genetics. This is a fascinating conversation about sensors, water savings, the cloud, and AWS. My name is Natan. I, I handle business development at CropX. I joined about two and a half years ago. Uh, my background is actually soil and water sciences. Uh, during my master's degree, I've uh, conducted a research at a commercial citrus orchard, and that was when I played around with just about every type of soil sensing technology that was available at that time. Uh, so when I saw what Cropix was doing, I immediately fell in love with the solution, and I basically came here knocking on the door asking for a job, uh, and I haven't looked back since. Cropex is an agricultural analytics company uh, that revolutionized and automated the farm decision-making process, mostly around irrigation and nutrition management. Uh, by developing the world's first and only, I think, uh, farm management platform that based on real-time soil data uh, measured by proprietary self-installed sensors that we developed in-house. Uh, we started selling our product in 2018 and we uh, were able to scale quite rapidly. Uh, and last year, we became the leading company in the world in terms of real-time installing data points with almost 9,000 uh, installations worldwide. Wow. So what's different about your soil sensors? You know, there, there's other soil sensors out there. What's different about yours and, and what kind of information does it give that's different than the other ones? Right. So I, I would say that it revolves around four main points. The, the first is the scalability. Uh, the fact that our hardware is self-installed based on do-it-yourself approach means that we don't have to physically travel for new projects. It doesn't require our boots on the ground. Uh, and our sensor takes just one minute to install. Anyone could do it. And it doesn't require any calibration or maintenance at all. So it's plug and play. This allows us to be, be the most scalable solution in the market. Uh, the, the second point is the fact that we, uh, you know, we close the loop. We don't only focus on above ground data or below ground data, but we represent the entire soil plant atmosphere continuum. Uh, with our proprietary hardware, 
the satellite imagery that we integrate into the platform, and we integrate many additional data layers like topography, crop models, uh, hydraulic models, soil maps, and more. And everything gets crunched in the cloud so that we can provide uh, actionable insights, not just raw data, but bottom line, how we can help farmers make better decisions. Uh, so everything is done in-house. Uh, we have a team, a very large team of, of engineers, software engineers, hardware engineers, data scientists, agronomists. So we have all the expertise in-house to really be able to make an impact. Um, third uh, very significant advantage is that we're backed by a world-class syndicate of strategic investors like Google's Eric Schmidt's private fund, Innovation Endeavors, who fell in love with CropX because of our vision to become the Google of soil. Uh, and we have uh, Flex and Bosch and Sumitomo Corporation, uh, a giant Japanese trading company. We have Renki, one of the world's largest irrigation system manufacturer. Finisteer, that's one of the world's largest ag food VCs. So we have a, a great syndicate of investors that uh, helped us scale rapidly. Um, and the fourth and last point is that I think we're the only ag tech startup that is already uh, starting to position itself as the market consolidator. Uh, I know that you wanted to ask me about that later, but we've already made uh, two acquisitions and we're currently uh, currently involved in another acquisition that hopefully I'll be able to announce publicly soon. So I think this is already proves that we're not, uh, you know, a very young startup, but we're already mature. Uh, the the market syndicate technology risks these are all behind us. So now really our key focus is our continued growth via strategic partnerships and acquisitions. Yeah, that's. Um, let's just touch on that now. I, I thought that was really interesting when I was reading about the company. Is that um, most companies at your stage aren't making acquisitions? So, um, talk a little bit about um, why you decided to make acquisitions and and what that brought to you um, as a company. Sure. Well, well, first of all, I, I would say that uh, you can divide acquisitions into two main uh, objectives. One would be the technology behind it, and the other would be the, the channel. Um, for us, we, we, we examine both opportunities as they present themselves. You know, the COVID pandemic created a lot of interesting opportunities uh, that were brought to our doorstep, even without us actively, you know, looking for opportunities, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so with the first acquisition, Crop Matrix, uh, it was mostly around the channels. You know, Crop Matrix started bottom up by farmer. They're not a VC backed company that started like top top to bottom. Uh, really, it started by farmers to farmers, very local, uh, US based irrigation management uh, platform that integrated a third party soil sensor. So they too realized that they had to uh, close the loop and, and get below and above ground data to be able to provide. You know, interesting insights and, and actionable insights, but they didn't develop their own hardware. They used a third-party soil sensor, uh, which uh, prevented them from being able to scale the way we did. Uh, and when we acquired them, um, they already developed a well-oiled distribution channel of 150 dealers serving 1,000 clients with a very high retention rate and uh, and 500,000 acres under management in over 10 
years of agricultural data collected in their platform. So with that acquisition, we managed to get a, an amazing channel into the U.S. Uh, farmers segment and to add a lot of uh, agricultural data into our platform. Going back to the second acquisition, it was a little bit different. Uh, Region is the company that we've acquired uh, in New Zealand. They were founded also in 2010. Um, all, also a well-established brand that have that they become a local leader in effluent irrigation management. Uh, that acquisition allowed CropEx first to get a, a foothold into a new uh, market, New Zealand, uh, and a new product and a new high-value use case addressing effluent irrigation in the entire dairy industry. So before that acquisition, we were mostly focused on well, we started, uh, we were focused on irrigation management, then slowly we've developed into nutrient management, but for crops. And that really uh, unveiled a, a completely new market for us, which is the dairy industry. That was thanks to this acquisition. Um, also, that has increased our sustainability offering, helping farmers prevent runoff and leaching of, of cow manure, basically. Um, also, we've added, I think, over 100,000 acres under management in New Zealand, uh, and, and so, including some very important strategic corporate customers that region were serving. Um, this also strengthened our, our sales network. You know, the, with, with AgTech, it's very important to flatten out your season, season, seasonality curve, mm-hmm. um, you know, because if you all, only op- operate in the U.S., then your season is around three months. And then in the other, the remaining year, you basically have to sit down and wait and prepare for the next season. So by uh, by opening the New Zealand market, we were basically able to have business all year long. Um, and obviously, you know, recurring revenues from hundreds of active farm clients uh, with a very high retention rate. So all of these things were made possible thanks to this acquisition. So what uh, what geographies are you in then? So you're in New Zealand, you're in the U.S., you're in Israel. Where where else are you? Almost everywhere apart from Antarctica these days. Uh, <laughs> so it must be, I mean, this must be partly because you don't, it's not a complicated installation process. So you don't have to have people everywhere. So you're really able to, to scale in a way that other companies probably can't if they have to have people on the ground everywhere, right? Exactly. Usually when, when you have a product that is not do-it-yourself like ours, it usually by first opening you know, a local prev- presence that allows other companies to provide the, the, the installation support services, but we don't have to do that. We can, you know, we can reach anywhere from our, with our Zoom meetings and <laughs> and shipping the, the 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 sensors to be installed by the by the user. So yes, that allowed us to scale very rapidly and to be able to get to many new places. Uh, you know, I so we have deployments in countries that I never even traveled to in yeah. my life. So I sometimes I envy my sensors. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wish you could go along with them. You had mentioned COVID um, earlier that it had brought some opportunities. Um, how else has COVID affected the company and, and your deployment? The global pandemic uh, actually served as a great opportunity for CropEx. We were very lucky in this regard. 
yes, we had sufficient funding and, and inventory, but more than all, uh, it is our do-it-yourself approach that allowed us to scale very rapidly, even during the pandemic. You know, we, we, could, uh, we continued shipping thousands of systems. We actually broke our sales record in that year. Uh, and that was thanks to our do-it-yourself approach. Uh, that is when all other companies had to stop all new projects because it requires their physical presence or their boots on the ground. Um. But we managed business as usual. So we were very lucky in this regard. And, and also, I would say that during that time, farmers even uh, realized more than ever the importance of being able to remotely monitor their fields. So AgTech got a huge boost during that this time. Yeah, I think we've seen that throughout the whole supply chain, all the way from on the farm, through harvesting, through, you know, shipping product, that people that were used to seeing everything with their eyes had to finally rely on the technology in all those different points. And so we've seen an uptick of, of lots of different technologies, you know, from, from shipping and storage and, and through the supply chain as well. So it's it'll be interesting as we look back you know, it's what a big impact of kind of leap forward technology took during COVID because people couldn't couldn't look with their eyes. They had to depend on it. Exactly. It almost, you know, it, it almost forced adoption yeah. and accelerated yeah. <laughs> adoption. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. So I have kind of a geeky question for you. So I had read that you're using AWS. And one of the challenges in the industry right now is, is the need to build and use analytic tools, which not everyone has that ability. So the, the question is often, do we build or do we buy or do we use a service? How did you decide? And, and how did you think about that? As, and maybe that happened before you joined the company. But um, how do people talk about it? Well, first of all, I think there is no right answer or a formula to this, you know, to this question. It really depends on what the organization is, is, is trying to do. Uh, we, as an Israeli startup, we knew that we could very easily, uh, you know, recruit a powerful team that could do that maybe better than anyone else. So we knew that there are many things that we are going to to build ourselves. And obviously, when when you build, when you develop it yourself, so you have more control of the entire. Uh, you know, supply chain, including, by the way, hardware manufacturer. We assemble the sensors in Israel. We do everything here. Oh, wow. Uh, so there's a lot going on. It's, a, it's very interesting around. But um, it, there are some things that we're uh, considering to acquire because it, it, it will be faster than it would be than to develop it ourselves. You know, uh, we've spent several years in perfecting our hardware and our current platform and we understand, you know, the, the time and effort it takes to get there. So we understand that for, to develop uh, products that are very different than what we're doing right now, if it's completely unrelated, it would take maybe the, the same time that it did uh, to, to get where we are right now. So it might be interesting for other technologies that we're considering integrating into our platform to buy instead of building. And, and this is also something that we're actually doing at the moment. Hmm. I've mentioned a potential acquisition uh, ah. earlier that you will hopefully hear about. Great. Hopefully soon. <laughs> so I have one more question for you. This, um, these two episodes that I'm doing on Israel, as I mentioned, um, uh, is featuring Israeli companies. And um, so, what do you see are the advantages of starting a company in Israel? And is there are there ways that the ecosystem could be better? 
I think we are very lucky to be to have been established in Israel. I think Israel has one of the most successful, vibrant uh, innovation ecosystem. Uh, I think from from the fact that you know the first of all, Israel is a small place. You know, it's very easy to get connected to all different uh, industries and verticals. Uh, with you know, just walking around the block, you can see uh, people that have uh, served in technological units in the army, or you have you know farmers that are right next to your doorstep, uh, and the, the the kibbutz movement that I that I told you about before we uh, before we had this call. Um, so I think in, in, in Israel is the, it's the kind of the perfect um, with technological different technological backgrounds. Uh, different experience at the, in a small place, and Israel is one of the first countries that had invested in, you know, in, in the public sector, had invested in private sectors and academic sectors R and D, and and that really created a, a very interesting type of relationship between the academic sector, the private sector, and the private and the public sector in Israel. So there's so many uh, communities for every different industry. There's a planet tech, there's desert tech, there's water tech, there's everything tech. So, and everyone, uh, every, everything has, uh, you know, a very vibrant in, um, community such that the different people from the different uh, parts of the industry can engage and, and, and brainstorm. I want to hear more about the ag tech ecosystem in Israel, and it certainly seems you are the person to talk to. Please tell me about yourself and the um, Israel Innovation Institute. Okay, so nice to meet. My name is Doron Miller. I'm the VP of the Israel Innovation Institute. It's a small NGO, non-profit, um, non-revenue, managed around six innovation communities. Uh, Growing AL, the ag tech communities is, is among them. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to do two major things. First of all, we're trying to, uh, to do an ecosystem development. It's, 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 it's meant that we want to create and connect all of the relevant players in the ecosystem in one sector, let's say the agri-tech, this is one time, and help the companies, the entrepreneurs, and the connection between all of them, etc. And the second thing, we want to uh, create better connection between what we call the demand and the supply. The demand is the market itself with its innovation challenges. It could be an agribusiness company or a farmer region, et cetera. And from the other end, we have the supply innovative solution, which means the uh, startup companies and so on. And what we are doing is, is open innovation processes who can better connecting both sides in order to get to a pilot, better site implementation, uh, and so on. And we do it, uh, and we can see what we can see in there are the impact sector, like uh, digital health, smart transportation, uh, agri-food tech, uh, desert tech, climate change, and so on. This is more or less the, the, the Innovation Institute. And I manage also Growing Ale as one of the communities uh, what we're working together with the government, in this case, the Ministry of Economy, Ministry of Agriculture and Innovation, Israel Innovation Authority. And what we're trying to do is create better and bigger um, ecosystem, agtech ecosystem, in terms of more companies, more investments and growth stage, 
more employees, more solution towards uh, the globe, and also to help the local industry. This is a more or less growing ale in the Innovation Institute. About the Israeli Arctic ecosystem, I think it's one of the maybe top dynamic ecosystem in, in the sector of Arctic uh, in the world. It's had around uh, 500 company techs, among them 300 startups. It seems, it, let's say that relatively to the US, it's, it's small numbers, but per capita, it's yeah. maybe first, maybe number one in the world. Just uh, mentioned Ag Founder Report in 2020 that uh, accorded the Israeli agri-food uh, ecosystem raised around um, $480 million, which is not, again, relatively to the US, it's pretty small, but uh, per capita, it's first in the world. So beside, beside the companies, we have, uh, uh, I would say, leading research institutes such as the Volcani Institute, the Hebrew, the Hebrew University, and Weizmann Institute. You can connect this, that general, I would say, high-tech atmosphere, because we see a lot, a lot of people coming from that general high-tech, from, from other sector in the high-tech, that contribute their uh, abilities to create solution who can who can make can make better agriculture and better solution for in these terms you can put people from robotic or from ai or from machine learning and they getting their abilities and translate it into uh, a better and impact agriculture um, another thing just just demand that um, uh, we have in israel uh, um, you can say traditional farmers but since Israel established, you know, 70 years ago, we we managed to do more with less. So I think this is one of the abilities that uh, builds the builds the knowledge of of precision agriculture and how you can do more accurate, accurate uh, water management, fertilizer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think the Israeli farmer is more open to 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 innovation relative to, to other to other farmer on the world from the world so I have a couple of questions off of that you were talking about um, kind of linking demand and supply when you look at demand um, for solutions you must be always looking globally as well right because Israel's a smaller company so when you when you're working you're looking at how can we deploy technology globally is that right? Yeah, exactly. Like we, we uh, as we're talking about growing L, we consider uh, just the globe, uh, a little bit of the local, but uh, the, the Arctic market is globally no debt, no debt. And we're working also with uh, big companies. So we, uh, just for example, we did a process of open innovation with Bear Crop Science, the biggest agrochemistry company in the world. So we, they, they are trying to look around the Israeli Arctic, a different and new ideation for automation in a phenotype on vegetables, for example. So this is what we're trying to do. And yeah, no doubt that we're trying to tackle the, the global challenges. Yeah, mm -hmm. the food crisis, climate change, climate change crisis, et cetera. And when you talk about um, the amount of money that's been invested, is that also um, from VCs and company and firms inside Israel and outside? And where where did the investment dollars come from? Yeah, so I would say in general that we see a development in creating more VCs focused in agri-food on the world and in Israel as well. But money is, is invested also from a lot of foreign uh, VCs and also from Israelis. Uh, funds, yeah, both. 
The other thing you mentioned that caught my interest was just talking about talent of being able to bring, you know, you have a lot of people that are, are educated and schooled in high tech disciplines and being able to recruit them into um, the ag tech field. And that's certainly one of the things I think we struggle with more in the U.S. is that not, you know, a lot of people in those fields would, can make more money and it sounds more interesting to them. They've never, you know, to go into other high-tech areas and they've never heard of agriculture. So what do you think, why do you think in Israel that you're able to get kind of that cross-fertilization of, of bringing tech people into ag? So first of all, I have to say honestly that in Israel, it's also a challenge. It's not that clear that everyone is coming to so agritech in the in the in the end of the day, agritech is is like you said a little bit more risky and could be a, a little bit less invested from from some reason. So it's not that simple. But I think in general, I don't know if Israel is unique in that case that people from some time to time had enough food, you know, to just develop the next application, the internet site, whatsoever, and they want to do good. So they want to do an, an influence on, on impactful way on the world. So they're looking for uh, sectors like agri and food and maybe health and maybe climate change to do better because after you make money and after you did the high tech scene for one or two or three or five or 10 years, you're looking to, to make your influence better on the world. I think this is the most, um, the most percent reason. Yeah, you hear different people say that here in the U.S. It's like, I, I don't need to design another shopping cart for another app. You know, <laughs> it's like, how many yeah. times do you need to do that? So, exactly. yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so how did the Institute come together? So I think uh, 10 years ago, exactly 10 years ago, oh. uh, there was one entrepreneur named Leonid Bachman. He's, he's still an entrepreneur, but and now is the president of the, the Institute. He said, okay, we have we have pretty developed high-tech scene. But in the end, you know, the, the self-entrepreneur is, is working in his garage uh, all alone, working uh, all alone. And we need to see how we can make a better system to help uh, one sector, such as agri-tech or, or mobility or someone, to develop. And then how we can how we can um, find the market failure and how we can support the one person to be more effective and create more more opportunities more companies etc so this is one thing that we call ecosystem development mm -hmm. the other thing that i think that um, uh, the institute did in the last 10 years that working with the government uh, um, on a on an area of impact so Let's work with the government of agriculture. Let's work with the government on, on mobility or climate change. And let's not work with the government on internet site or another just application. So let's direct the government to bring their sources and together we can do an impact from Israel to the world in, in impact sectors. So I think this is the most um, uh, two meaningful reasons why, why the Institute was raised. And another thing I can say, we, we talk about this, the demand side. So in terms of Israel, one of the goals of the Institute is to make a better service public. But if we work with a hospital, with a public service, and we create and help to create more innovative um, service or solution 
to the citizens, so Israel is enjoyed from is the innovate solution as well. So this is maybe uh, can be the third reason. So how would you describe the ag tech ecosystem in Israel and how has it changed over the last five years and how do you see it will change over the next five years? Okay, so so I, I would say that Israel is traditionally, I would say, innovative. Like you take companies such as Netafim who uh, bring innovative um, um, solutions of water management uh, since the, the ni- 1970s, etc. But I think after a few decades, you can see in the last last decade, maybe the 15 last 15 years, a lot of a rise of new companies. So you can see a layer of 200 new startups who, who combine with the Israeli uh, uh, scene, and then you see a lot of innovative solution and new solution combined from um, the tech sectors to the agriculture sector and combined together to a new solution. This is one thing. Another thing is you see, even though Agtech is a bit in risk comparing to other sectors in high tech. You can see more and more investing in the in the sector. If you take the, um, 2014, since you see around a 50 million investment, 50 million dollar investment in the in the Israeli scene, and now in 2021 you can see uh, around 40, uh, 480. So this is another thing. I think Israel in the last decade uh, developed a lot of smart farming precision agriculture solutions. But now I hope to see if, if we talk about the last five years. So we see a lot of dominant in the in the area of smart farming, a little bit of biotechnology, and a little bit of, of supply chain. And what I really hope to see in the next five years is, first of all, um, um, in general, we want to see more growth company, maybe even to dream about unicorn or something like that, but to see more, more growth stage more money, more people to work in the Arctic uh, in general. And I think I want to see more solution in the, in the like we, we talked earlier about the global needs, so more uh, gene ed- editing and resistance on probes and more solution of robotics in terms of the label issue, which is a big, very big issue in agriculture. And I would say um, to see more sustainable agriculture. It can come from alternative protein solution, plant-based, etc., but also from a regenerative, regenerative ag and more uh, urban agriculture, indoor agriculture, which I said relatively in this area, Israel is a little bit behind the world. So I really want to see the variety, more variety in, in the solutions, more growth companies, and, and, and more people in the industry. Great. Yeah. One thing that's interesting that I'm starting to see is, you know, in areas like indoor ag is that as as that matures, we're starting to see more and more companies that are developing technologies to support that industry. So I can imagine, you know, seeing um, better AI companies or better lighting companies or, or those, you know, water use companies, those types of things being built. So it's not just people building the farms, but it's the technology that the farms will need. And that would make sense to get people working on that too. Yeah, exactly. That's a wrap on my focus on Israel. 
Working in ag tech for so many years, I was very aware of innovative companies coming out of Israel. What I didn't realize is how many there were and what a great ecosystem for innovation it is based on generations of doing more with less and developing close-knit communities that work with each other over lifetimes. This is the end of this season and we are taking a couple weeks off. I'm taking my first flight in over a year to see my mother. Then I'll be back taking on Chile, Mexico, Microbial Solutions, Carbon, and more. See you soon. That's it for this episode of PMA Takes on Tech. Thanks for allowing us to serve as your guide to the new world of produce and technology. Be sure to check out all our episodes at pma.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, and I would love to get any comments or suggestions of what you might want me to take on. For now, stay safe, eat your fruits and vegetables, and we will see you next time. Bye.